There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show. Um, wonderful to be back with you again for another week. This is the 351st episode. I can't, I can't believe it. I've been doing this for eight years now, and it's always a pleasure. I always love the opportunity to uh, meet a fascinating guest and, and share with you, you know, ideas and thoughts that can really help you to elevate your thinking and elevate your business. And today we've got Christopher O'Donnell. We're going to talk about leading and building creative teams, and, and also we'll talk um, a bit about his uh, mu- musical interests as well and how that fits in with uh, with technology and but before i introduce you to christopher i'd like to say a big thank you to my guest last week and we had janisha allura from singapore um janisha has a a network that she's created of two hundred thousand women in asia uh, and she's helping them to uh, develop uh, their businesses and um to become more more successful uh she was also um, miss singapore in 2006 and then ended up uh, running a um, a big group of of, um, of cafes and restaurants across um, Asia before um, getting into this um, this whole area of online uh, development. So we talked about digital, and I think a very very compelling story. If you're interested in uh, thinking yourself, but how do you make a bigger contribution to the world? Maybe you're female. But I think you could get value from that show, whether you're male or female. Um, but have a listen to it. It's a really interesting conversation and inspiring. And I think um, identify some of the reality of uh, of developing and uh, growing a successful business. So if you're interested in, in in digital and growing your business, do check that one out. So Christopher O'Donnell is a technologist. He's a musician and a public speaker, and he's built dozens of web and mobile products. And his uh, product portfolio ranges from language learning products for the U.S. military to the most popular free CRM product in the world. Now, today, Christopher serves as Senior Vice President of HubSpot Products, which he's led from startup, which was $50 million in revenue, to being a successfully um, publicly traded company, uh, now $600 million in revenue. He has become a staple in the product management community and was recently named one of the best product leaders of 2019. Um, He's a highly rated public speaker, a frequent guest lecturer at MIT Sloan School of Management and major global corporations. He speaks on topics like leadership and team building, a bit like myself. Um, but however, um, I have to say, um, on a live stage, I've not spoken to audiences over 10,000, only on the radio. So um, that's pretty incredible. Outside of his day job, Christopher spends his time as a songwriter and guitarist for his band, The Providers, with whom he's recorded dozens of songs across a variety of musical genius. And there's uh, some really interesting um, work he's been doing. There's um, some music that's going to be coming out shortly from The Providers, so we can have a, a chat about that. So huge welcome to the show today to Christopher O'Donnell. Thank you so much for having me today, Chris. I've been uh, looking forward to this and excited to connect with you and, and your listeners. Uh, likewise, uh, great to have you on. Now, Christopher, where I have tonight to ask people where in the world uh, they are at the moment. Where are you, where are you based? I am in uh, the Boston area. So our office is in Cambridge, uh, Mass. So sort of greater Boston area. 
Excellent. So a uh, nice, uh, nice area of the United States. Um, we we have people from all over the world on the show, and it's um, always fascinating to know where people people are based. So t- tell me, Chris. I mean, were you brought up in Boston? Where you know, where did you grow up? Um, and how has it led to what you're doing today? Yeah, I, I have. I've grown up in New England, sort of within an hour or two of Boston, basically my whole life. I uh, grew up in southern New Hampshire, which is a really beautiful area. And then, you know, went to school in Rhode Island, south of Boston, and then uh, settled in the sort of Cambridge area right after college. So I've, I've been around here pretty much my whole life. Yeah. And is it getting is it getting beautiful at the moment? Because there's also I think of New England and the leaves changing color and it's a very special landscape there at this time of year. Yeah, well, right now, it, it's funny that you mentioned it because right now, this period and perhaps last week, uh, maybe even the week before in mid-October, mid to late October, this is when people pay money to fly into Boston and take buses up through the country where, frankly, where I grew up, uh, we call it leaf peeping. And you see these tours of people and literally all they, they, they pay money for tickets to drive up and down the highway. Because it's uh, it is so beautiful. I mean, in in my backyard right now is bright orange and yellow and everything. It's it's very cool. And then, admittedly, there's a lot of cleanup. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you have these trees, then you have to pick up all the leaves. But it's fun. We make piles, and you know, you jump in them as a kid and everything like that. So it's a cool cool time of year for sure. I'm a little bit the same here. I'm kind of surrounded by trees and uh, and garden and houses. And I, I have to say, I, I love. I like this time of year, but I don't enjoy the cleanup. And I have one particular apple tree, and I, I picked up two thousand apples off the lawn last year, and it's quite it's quite hard work. Yeah, and that's the other big New England thing is going apple picking, and then we end up with, you know, three bushels of apples for every household, and everybody's trying to give each other apples and apple pies and everything like that. And by by November, we're done eating apples for the year. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You get you can get a little bit. Uh, you've tried every alternative, haven't you? And if you kind of uh, get to a point where you, you're appled out, I think. That's right. So, so, so does um, were your parents and family are they were they in a similar line to you, or were you, you know, did, did you get were you inspired by them in terms of, you know, reaching high echelons in business and music, or is this something that you've you've developed in your lifetime? Well, I mean, yes and no. I, I suppose not not directly. N- neither of my parents were musicians. Um, and neither of my parents works in technology. However, both of my parents had sort of interesting, uh, you know, multi-chapter, multi-faceted careers. My father did a range of things from being a newspaper reporter to being an equity research analyst. Uh, my mom was a nonprofit fundraiser. They were both university professors. That's actually how they met and what brought them both to, uh, you know, to New England. So they've done, you know, a lot of different things. Uh, my mom ended up having an interesting career as a head of school. So she, because she was, uh, had this academic background and also had this nonprofit fundraising background that interestingly puts you in a very, very slim sort of overlapping area of the Venn diagram where you can go run um, a private school. So she was the first woman to ever run one of these English style, you know, classic New England boarding school. She ran wow. Phillips Exeter Academy for 10 years. Mm. And that's really what brought us up to to New Hampshire in the Boston area. So, you know, I, I, I think uh, they didn't lead me down this path, but they did give me a lot of opportunity and support to, um, you know, to try something really creative. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's all right. <laughs> where, where, where did, so where did your love of music come from then? 
Uh, my love of music, let's see. Um, <laughs> where did it come from? I, I think my whole life, um, I have been basically interested in two things, computers and music from a very early age. Uh, you know, I was interested in technology. I got a computer when I was 11 years old and it came with no software and no discs and, and no anything. <laughs> and so I sort of had this hand me down Apple II GS, um, and I had to make my own fun with it. So that led to me learning how to, how to program in basic at the time, you know, at, at a pretty early age. And then, yeah, I got into music really early. I think I just discovered the, the vinyl LPs my parents had in the basement, I was sitting in front of a speaker one day listening to, and it was mostly classical music, you know, so I was listening to whatever was in their bin and next to the Hayden and the Bach and everything else was uh, a record that had all these bright colors on it. And so I threw it on and I sat there cross-legged in front of the one hi-fi speaker in the corner of the basement. I'd figured out how to hook the stereo up. I was probably eight years old and, uh, and I dropped the needle down and it was Led Zeppelin two. Uh, yeah. So I was eight years old by myself, <laughs> completely no context, completely no explanation of what it was and listened to Led Zeppelin two probably 10 times, you know, just wore a hole out of that record before asking anybody, what is this thing? What is, what is Led Zeppelin? <laughs> so, you know, and that amazing analog sound and John Bonham's drums and all that kind of stuff, it just got me really, you know, really, really interested. And from, from a really early age, I mean, I, I was down in the basement, you know, with a glue gun, uh, which is funny to see because my kids are doing it now. They're, they're about four and five, uh, five and six years old. And, um, you know, they're doing the same thing and they have their glue gun now and everything, but I just always love making stuff. So that, that was the common thread is just being fascinated with making stuff. And I did a lot of woodworking as a kid and, you know, anything I could to make something from nothing, which as I got older, uh, professionally software became a really appealing thing, you know, and then in terms of my own personal passion as well, not that I'm not passionate about technology, I definitely am, but um, music, uh, you know, I went to school for music. Actually, I went to school for computers and music and did a lot of programming and a lot of, uh, sort of traditional Western music undergrad, you know, kind of liberal arts degree. Um, and had to put the music aside for a number of years while we were on this, on this crazy startup journey and have in the last few years gotten back into it more seriously. So the common thread for me is really, you know, principally loving making things and as I've become more of a grown up, I suppose it's it's building the teams that are going to get those things made at, you know, at a really, um, a really professional level. Brilliant. And it's, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? How that that moment you're imagining you sitting in your basement listening to Led Zeppelin 2 and how when you when you something catches your imagination like that, it becomes a, a special moment in your life, doesn't it? That you that you remember for me, it was uh, going to stay with some friends of the family. I was probably maybe nine or something like that in age. And uh, a friend of my father's um, put some headphones and said, have a listen to this. And it was a live recording of Thin Lizzy. And I can still remember it now. And it just, it just completely raptured me. I spent the whole weekend listening to it over and over again. And um, it, it influenced my musical tastes long term. Um, yeah, that must have been amazing just just incredible yeah yeah so so i think um so you you're very you know quite driven now with your recording and your artistry uh, and you've got a very busy corporate career and i just wonder 
you've got your four and five year old um, sons did you say yeah i have a let's see i have a now it's a six-year-old son and an almost five-year-old daughter oh bless so, so you've got young children so how do you balance all of that your music very busy corporate career and young family uh well you know it's a great question i think um a lot of it for me has to do with being very intentional with your time, which is sort of the obvious thing. And also on the work side, you know, how do we create an environment where we can get work done in a really efficient way? Yeah. Um, I, I think the biggest challenge is frankly the, the context switching, you know, um, I, I've also sort of given up having friends, <laughs> if I'm totally honest. So, you know, I don't really go to the movies. I don't really see my my mates, as you'd say. Um, but, you know, I I get the the sort of the social uh, itch scratched through these other things. You know, so that's that's the first thing is I, I'm not, you know, uh, I don't watch a lot of football. I don't I, I don't have a lot of that. But that's OK, you know. Um, for me, the the social time, I'd, I'd rather be doing things with people. It's it's sort of my personality. I don't get too much pleasure out of just sort of hanging out and relaxing for better or worse. I'm a little, maybe I'm a little too intense for that. But what I love doing is hanging out with my friends and building stuff and working, you know, so so that's probably in terms of hours, the biggest, the biggest thing. And I, I don't end up watching a lot of TV and, and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, but the, but the work piece, you know, how do you make this not a 90 hour thing? I mean, the first thing to realize in my opinion is it's uh, and I've really come to appreciate this. It's a marathon and not a sprint. Yeah. And so being measured in our emotional intelligence, being measured in our, uh, you know, physical health and, you know, number of hours spent in a room and so forth, being really intentional about time management in terms of the energy curves of the day. You know, so, you know, one of the things that that I did at a certain point was just deleted everything off of my calendar and sat down and said, you know, okay, I'm going to make a list of all of the things I need to do, all of the people I need to be, you know, fellowshipping with and discussing things with. And then I'm going to look at, you know, the the rhythm of the day, rhythm of the week, rhythm of the month, of the quarter of the year. All of those things actually are important and being really intentional about where to put those things. So for example, you know, I used to have on Monday morning, the first thing I used to do was go in and have a one-on-one -on -one with uh, the, the woman who runs the UX team and she manages about a hundred people on, on our team. And I realized I'm not actually ready for that conversation. I'm not, I'm not kind of present and thoughtful in that conversation. And so what I do on Monday mornings is I spend two hours first thing with um, uh, my chief of staff. And we sit there and we go through everything that's in flight. And that, you know, that's the right thing for me to do on a Monday morning. I can load everything back into memory um, and we can decide exactly what we want to tackle that week. So it, it seems obvious, but I, for years I didn't do it. And I think I was really forced to do it with the family, you know, more, more than the music. The music is actually pretty, pretty easy. You know, we, we spend Monday nights doing music. You know, so so that's pretty easy. We just do, you know, five to nine PM or whatever. And that's that's music. That's done. It's almost like being in a, you know, being in a, a soccer league or something like that. Um, you know, it's like that's my Monday night activity, boom, done. And we're able to make records, we're able to write and do pre-production and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but the family and work part is is requires a lot more intentionality and experimentation. You know, how do we 
how do we find the right rhythm? Is it that I come home early and then I hop back on work? Actually, I tried that. A lot of people do that. It doesn't work too well for me. It works better for me to work a little bit later and then transition into family time and have fewer things hanging over my head because then that time is more valuable with family. So, you know, I would say it's a work in progress and, and just requires a lot of uh, experimentation and also a lot of communication, you know, communication with, um, with my, my wonderful wife, Emily, you know, Hey, what's working? What do you need? What are the times when you need what kind of energy for me? What's really going to help? And then of course, doing the same thing with everybody at work. Excellent. I love, love the intentionality of the way that you, you plan that and you, you think about it and, realize that you you know you've often got to manage your energy not your time so i think that's very some very helpful insights there in terms of how you do that because it is very very important isn't that we're going to go to commercial break now but after, after the break we'll find out um a little bit more about your career and hubspot in terms of uh, some background and this incredible growth this organization has had and and how you know how everything i guess has to be managed during these periods of change and I'm imagining possibly possibly a little chaos at times as well. How you <laughs> how you've uh, managed to lead and build these creative teams um, with all in that environment that's uh, conti- continuously uh, moving. So we're we'll back again now in just a couple of minutes. So do join us very shortly. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One to one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops, and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Christopher O'Donnell. We're talking about leading and building creative teams. And I'm, I'm just smiling slightly as um, in the break, Erin um, who, uh, who really supports me well with this show. He's uh, our engineer, and he was just saying in Phoenix, he's uh, been really cold this morning because it's only been 66. Those are sort of temperatures that we, um, we're very grateful for in the United Kingdom. Um, so let's, um, let's just have a find out a little bit now, Christopher. We've, we started talking about this, um, your intentionality and, and you know, how you manage things with your, your time and energy and, and family. And uh, tell us, just tell us 
you know, what about you know about HubSpot? What do they do, and what does senior vice president of HubSpot products, HubSpot products, entail? Yeah, absolutely. Well, our founders Brian Halligan and Darmesh Shah, some 13 years ago, had this startling and and crisp realization that the way that humans shop and buy has fundamentally changed, particularly for businesses and for for business products. You know. It used to be that you could take yellow pages ad, uh, yellow pages ads out, and and go to trade shows, and sort of hang your shingle out. Uh, and then in in the course of the sales process, of course, companies would have all of the information. Uh, my dad raised me to say you can learn anything with a nickel, and what he meant was go to a payphone and call a sales rep. Uh, and and that was <laughs> that was good advice. It served him well in in equity research, you know. But the world has changed, and it's now you know, the world of the internet, the world of shoppers and consumers and, you know, uh, professionals having the power. And we buy because we search for things online. We buy because we hear uh, opinions. We read reviews on g2crowd.com for business software and, and so forth. And so how are businesses to match this challenge? That was the opportunity. So Brian and Darmesh started down this path of building a software suite Today, we think of it as a CRM suite. So it's really customer relationship management, a contact database, uh, and, and the full canonical record of all of your interactions with everybody who knows about your business. So that means we have a, you know, the world's largest free CRM. We think of it as sort of the Gmail of CRM. Uh, and then three paid products, a marketing product, a sales product, and a service product. So that businesses of any size can deliver an amazing, delightful experience to their customers. And frankly, you know, our, our, our customers are superheroes at work because they can build websites, they can do automated email campaigns, social media marketing, they can take out Google AdWords and Facebook ads, they can track their pipelines, they can manage all of their customer support from one platform. So that's been really interesting for me. I joined when we just had uh, in many ways, the beginnings of the marketing part of the product. And I've seen the journey of going multi-product, of doing the free CRM, and really building out what ultimately is a very broad product line. And what, you're growing massively. I mean, I know you're, you've now got a couple of hundred people working in your team. And while you've been in HubSpot over the last few years, it's grown 10 times. Um, what do you do? There are other organisations like the like Salesforce out there with CRMs. What do you think has been the the reason for that growth? And and also, you know, for you, um, what have you found that the sort of biggest challenges when it comes to teams? Right. Well, why has it grown? I suppose the, our founders were right. <laughs> Ultimately, <laughs> I mean, if if the founders are wrong with the vision, there's only so much anybody else can do. And so I, I give them, and we all give them, an enormous amount of credit for really seeing the future here. Uh, which they saw very uh, in in quite crisp focus, certainly, and continue to, at least in my estimation. Um, you know, picking a great customer, I, I think that's a really important part of scaling a business is understanding who your target customer is, not trying to be all things to all people. And this idea of choosing, um, you know, choosing marketers and later sales and service teams that, really had a need for, um, you know, software for generalists, you know, marketers who were going in to do 20 different things over the course of the day, 
that was our our niche, and it turns out that niche is not a niche at all. It's it's uh, an enormous what was an enormous gap in the market. So I think it's worked. I think the fundamental idea of the business is very strong, and that's really helped us. And then across the company, I think the company has executed well. You know, certainly, uh, you have to make the math work, and you have to you know deliver what you promise to customers. And we've been, um, it seems, you know, reasonably on the mark there enough to to see the growth. Now, what, what's the hardest thing about building the teams? Geez, I think it's, um, you know, uh, and you and I were talking a little bit before we hopped on the air. How do you keep it fun? How do you keep it exciting so that you're attracting not just more people into the business, but you're actually attracting better people? And those people are more likely to stay and they themselves become the trainers, the future leaders, and then later the trainers of the next generation of future leaders. I think the people side of it is enormously difficult. And I think we have been able to do that. You know, the people that we're hiring um, continue to come in and teach us all sorts of amazing new things and raise the bar. So that that's probably the number one challenge, growing leaders, you know, taking star individual contributors and putting them into management positions where they're really caring and candid and effective managers through, you know, everything that we go through as leaders and managers, uh, that that's definitely the, uh, the, the tip of the spear in terms of what's hard about it. And how, how do you describe this, this sort of cultural environment that, um, you know, these people come into, you know, how would you describe your, your values and culture? Well, we, we describe it in a lot of ways, you know, and we have our product values on the product team. As a company, we have the uh, a framework that we call HEART, which is humble, empathetic, adaptable, remarkable, and transparent. So we do make an attempt to articulate it. We certainly do. I also like to ask people who come in once they've really settled in, let's say three or four months in, take them to a coffee or have a chat and ask them what they notice and what's different from other places they've worked. Because so many of us actually have grown up there. You know, a lot of my team started out in, say, support or services. Uh, a lot of us have, you know, had the bulk of our careers at HubSpot. And when new people come in who have some real experience under their belt, what they notice is there is a real uh, sense of autonomy, uh, especially in, on the product teams. The teams are empowered. They're given goals and guardrails and, you know, those goals and guardrails may be tight and they may be tightly defined. Within those, there's an enormous room to come to know the customer and to make decisions, which I think is, is what I would want for any business. You know, whether I'm calling an airline or I'm, you know, working at a uh, going to pick up my dry cleaning and have a question. You know, you always want whoever is in charge of the actual work and talking to customers to be able to affect change without it having to go all the way up to the executive team and then and then all the way back down. So I, th I think that's really powerful. The other part that really strikes people is the level of information sharing and transparency. So there's almost no information at the company that every employee um, would not have access to. You know, things like compensation, things that would affect uh, you know, forward looking, you know, so mergers and acquisitions, certain things, uh, we would, we would keep, uh, very, very private. Other than that, you know, we post our board deck on our wiki. And so folks come in and they're just stunned at the level of transparency that we have. Uh, and it really helps, you know, it makes, uh, communication and change management within the company 
so much easier because people already have an enormous amount of context. And then that extends to customer perspective. You know, we have, we use Slack at work. Slack is a, is a great tool for, for communication and staying on the same page, but we invite our, our, uh, customer voice into that. We have a room in Slack with a thousand, over a thousand people in it. And we get every uh, customer satisfaction survey posted in there in real time. And we can all go in in real time and discuss it, reach out to the customer, you know, learn more, post back that information. And, you know, at scale, we've been doing that for a year and a half or so now. And as it scales, it's just remarkable because, again, we all have the same customer and employee kind of context and strategic context in memory and ready to go. Uh, and it allows us to, one, grow future leaders, two, make strategic decisions and changes with a lot of information, um, you know, and, uh, and three, you know, just do the right thing. It's so much easier to do the right thing when everybody has that level of context, uh, you know, already front of mind. Well, I really, I really loved listening to that, and it's made me, you know, made me think, you know, why, you know, why do many organisations not get it? And if you think what you've described there, in terms of, you know, giving, you know, there's goals and there's guardrails. However, people have got the freedom to be able to do the right thing because they're, you know, they're in front of the customer rather than have to kind of escalate it. And you look at organisations like Ritz Carlton. You know, Southwest Airlines. Absolutely. You know, um, the, these these kinds of um, these kind of companies, you know, do give a lot of a lot of empowerment to their people and, and let them get on with it. And you know, there's amazing stories, isn't there, that that come out of these organisations where you know someone's been able to go that extra mile for a customer, and then suddenly it's gone viral, and everybody's hearing this great story. But then there were so many companies who not only put goals and guardrails, they put barriers up. Um, and and also barriers up when it comes to transparency as well. They keep things keep things secret, and uh, and then if you end up with mistrust and office politics and things like that. So very refreshing to hear what you're saying. Yeah, and and I don't th- I I completely agree. You know, I listen much more to hospitality industry podcasts than I do technology industry podcasts. I feel like sometimes in tech we we just uh, we breathe our own exhaust a little bit. Or, or, you know, alternatively, it becomes an echo chamber in a lot of ways, and we're all sort of saying the same things back to each other. But your example about the Ritz-Carlton is spot on. That's the type of culture we want to build and is in many ways as important or more important than, than the technology piece. And I, I don't think that our culture is the only way. I, I don't think that we have any right to stand on a pedestal and say that we have it figured out. First of all, we don't. Uh, and, you know, our employee engagement... Uh, surveys are the source of so much of our culture and it's constantly changing. We're constantly listening to speaking back to um, and and trying to be thoughtful about what we're hearing from, from everybody in the company and everybody on the team in terms of what needs to change in the culture. Uh, your earlier question of what is, a, you know, what's an SVP of product to, uh, mm-hmm. that's half of it. You know, I'm sort of the product manager of that culture. And so I'm taking the customer feedback. And in many ways, the, the customers are the employees on the team. Uh, and, and the other piece of that is the sales aspect in recruiting. You always have to be recruiting heavily, heavily, heavily. 
in, in leadership, but I think even at entry level positions, trying to get people into the mode of making new friends and then pulling those friends in to learn about the company and getting as many and as diverse a group in aware of the company and making friends within the company as possible. Uh, I just think it's critical to building the best team. But if you're going to do it a different way and you're going to do command and control, um, you know, I'm not intimately, I wasn't there during the building of the iPhone at Apple, obviously, but uh, I think it's reasonable to say Steve Jobs had an extremely different leadership style than, than say, we do. And uh, it obviously worked for him. My reflection on that is you, you just have to be right. You know, you can be Steve Jobs, but you have to be absolutely right about almost everything if you want amazing people to come and spend 10 years of their career building these products with you. And I just, you know, look, I, I feel like I know the customer. I feel like I know SaaS products reasonably well. And, but I can't tell a software engineer on the front lines of our team the right way to build the one thing that he or she is building that day. They're going to know more about that particular part of the customer experience than I'll ever know. And so then it becomes, you know, th that's when the story sort of starts and you say, okay, how can we help those frontline people connect the dots between what the company is trying to do and literally the line of code that they're writing that day, you know, and, and taking to production. And what you get is, I think you get two things. You get a, a, a greater accuracy of what matters. You know, those teams are going to make better uh, micro decisions on features and usability than I will be able to make for them or their boss would be able to make for them. Um, and you get speed. So a lot of our competitors in the market are releasing software maybe, you know, quarterly. And we're taking new live product improvements to production 900 times a day, you know, which which stuns a lot of people. But it's um, it's it's commonplace for us. It's like drinking a Coca-Cola or something. You know, it, to be able to take your, your work and bring it in front of customers and get feedback and roll it out incrementally and, and, and be thoughtful about it, but also move very quickly. That's uh, a huge competitive advantage for us. I think that's very interesting that. that so you, you've you know, designed this culture as well to enable you to deliver at speed. Yeah, I mean, we have 110 product teams. Each one of those teams has a very clear scope of ownership. Each one of those teams, quote unquote, carries the pager, which is in some sense literal, in some sense figurative. But if anything uh, flaps or goes wrong with their part of the software, they're up 24 hours a day. And so that sense of ownership, that sense of it's not about doing what your boss tells you because they told you to do it, writing code and throwing it over the wall for someone else to maintain or you know, babysit. It's like, look, you get to make the decisions, but only because you own every aspect of the metrics. You own security, performance, reliability, um, usability. You own value. You own user engagement and growth on a specific part of the product. That team owns it top to bottom, and leadership is there to watch, to coach, to course correct, to do organizational design, to do the marketing and sales of, of the mission and the message, occasionally to come in and, and, and micromanage. I mean, we, we do have to do that sometimes, not too terribly much. Um, but what you get is, uh, you know, 110 teams that each are going to production a handful of times a day because they're doing a handful of meaningful things a day. And isn't that actually a reasonable, it's a reasonable thing. 
Um, and if you think about lean manufacturing, for instance, we've actually known in business more, more broadly that the, the best thing for customers and the best thing for a company in the case of, say, cars would be to go into a Toyota dealership, uh, sign the payment you know, to buy a Toyota Corolla, and if Toyota could magically create that car from scratch on the spot just in time for you, it would be a less expensive, higher quality car. You know, The longer you wait to bring customer value, the more uh, you have cars sitting on boats and in parking lots and on, on factory shelves, you know, the less value you're getting on both sides of the equation. So it's actually a pretty, it's a, it's a very simple set of principles that together in concert give you a rather remarkable outcome. Mm. Yeah, this is uh, abs- uh, yes, fa- fascinating. And just, you know, I, I'm imagining you're creating a, a culture that people, the pe- right people you're trying to attract will be attracted to. I, I imagine that's important to you, but also you're, you're creating a culture which, um, which should be for the right people very enjoyable, and is also ends up in them being very very productive and enabling you to bring products to market at speed. Um, it's true. I mean, you end up it, it ends up being fun. I mean, and and there you know, and we have crises and we have parts <laughs> of the job that are not fun. I mean, it it is hard to build software at this kind of scale. It is not you know all all flowers and, and daisies and everything like that. But ultimately, it it creates a sense of psychological safety and support that attracts really great people. And I'll tell you, with creatives, it's the number one thing. I mean, you could pay 10 times as much as the next company, but if you don't have an environment where the really great players want to play and feel empowered to do their best work, there's no amount of money you can pay them to stay. I'll just, I'll just tell you, we, you know, that is just a fact. It's more about um, the day-to-day feeling like you have an impact. Great creative folks are attracted to having a huge impact. Fantastic, fantastic. I, I think uh, we've got to go up thirty seconds now to a commercial break. But but you you, you describe those. You know, you've got these little crises going on. I think it was it was Google who called them goat rodeos. It's almost when you you introduce a an, an issue and actually suddenly everybody pulls together and uh, and that can create a tremendous bond. Even if you're working overnight on something, can't it? If you've got a team of you with a real challenge that you've got to fix with a with a deadline, uh, that can be exciting. Uh, absolutely can right we're gonna to go to commercial break now we'll be back again in a couple of minutes and uh, we're gonna find out um, a little bit if you're th- listening here and thinking i'd like to join uh, HubSpot because they seem like an amazing sort of culture here i'm going to ask them what they look for in new people so you might want to take notes of that if that's of interest but also uh, i'm very interested to have a little chat as well um, during this section about um, the parallels between building a rock and roll album and also developing a tech product that's uh, something i know that christopher likes to talk about so we'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm talking to Christopher O'Donnell from um, HubSpot, and we're talking about amazing culture at HubSpot and, and about leading and building creative teams. I'd just like to ask you, Christopher, you know, it sounds like you're recruiting at a, at a, a fair old rate at HubSpot, and, and I'm sure when you're recruiting, there must be certain characteristics that you're looking for in the people, people that uh, are coming to join you. you know, what, what are those characteristics? What are those things that you really admire and attract you, uh, you know, over and above? Right. Well, you know, I can speak to the product team. You know, I'm hiring product managers, user experience folks. Uh, I'm also very close to the engineering hiring. And there's a certain culture around that and certain things that we look for. And then there's the broader HubSpot sphere. And I'll try to speak to both of those. I think from the broader HubSpot sphere, our perspective is, you know, first of all, rooted in diversity, diversity of experience, of background, you know, every imaginable kind of diversity. Uh, you know, I, I think that makes a lot of sense simply because diverse teams perform better. That's been proven in the research a million times. So anybody who's listening, I would encourage to check out HubSpot.com jobs and see if there's something that, that seems interesting. And please don't for a moment uh, let imposter syndrome get the better of you and, and not apply. You know, introduce yourself and let us know who you are and talk to the recruiters and get a sense of, of uh, the different departments and, and what we have to offer in terms of roles. From there, you know, inclusivity. Inclusivity is, is what gets the best ideas once people are in the door and also, you know, gives people a, a, the freedom to fail and so forth. And so we're looking for people who are highly empathetic and can, are, are very good at perspective taking, can think through uh, various aspects of a problem and are really good listeners. You know, remarkability is, is a, a big part of our culture too. We're looking for very talented people and, and people who have a, a high ceiling, so to speak, a, a lot of wattage. That's definitely be a, a big part of it. And as I mentioned Hart earlier, you know, humility, humility, uh, my favorite interview question uh, often is, tell me the story of the worst grade you ever got. Just because it, you know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an opportunity for humility. It's an opportunity to, to see if people handle uh, challenge with good humor, you know. And, and that's a really important part of our culture because, you know, the, the, the failures are meant to be small and common for a, a greater positive result. In terms of product in our part of the world, there are some things we look for as well. Passion for teaching, passion for both learning and teaching. So this combination of coachability 
and willingness to take feedback is huge. And we interview for that. And we also are, are very curious about um, the ability and attractiveness to candidates of becoming a teacher and sharing what, what they may have learned in their career and examples of, of becoming a teacher and a mentor, uh, even, even you know, separate from, related to, but separate from management, of course. So we, we look for those things. We also look for grit. Um, you, you know, you, you've danced around this a little bit, but just the, the amount of change that happens when you're scaling up and moving quickly, the roles, some roles stay reasonably similar and a lot of roles, particularly I would say senior manager and up, those roles are rapidly changing. I started out as an individual contributor and, and our team is a couple hundred people now. So clearly I've had to learn a lot on the job. So, uh, you know, be, being open to that kind of rapid change in your job being very different and being comfortable with ambiguity. I think those are some of the things uh, that we look for. But people come from, from all sorts of different places. We are hiring increasingly uh, remote, depending on, you know, depending on uh, the geography. So th- there are a lot of really interesting opportunities. HubSpot.com slash jobs. I've hired 100 people in 2019. So, you know, and that's just one department. We have roles open in literally every department across the company. I encourage people to check it out and, and at least have a conversation with us, whether you're actively in the job market or not. Uh, it can really, uh, it can be great. There, there are people in leadership on my team. It's been a two-year conversation before they've shown up on the team too. So even if you're happy in your current role, it doesn't hurt to learn a little bit more about us. That's great. And you've got you've got offices in, in the US and, and Europe and we have offices in Cambridge as our headquarters, and then we have a, a smaller office, a couple hundred people in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, up by actually where I grew up. Hmm. Then we have an office in, let's see, Sydney, Australia. We have Singapore, Tokyo, Berlin, Paris, Bogota, and then a very sizable office, I want to say 600 plus people in Dublin, Ireland. Ah, okay. So, so, um, so it, is that Cambridge in the U.S.? Yeah, Cambridge in the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> in the U.K. I say that because Cambridge in the U.K. has become a very, a very popular location for for, for big business. Um, there's a lot of big business. Uh, around, I feel like so. there are parallels because it, it, Cambridge, obviously, in the U.K., is a big university town, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, be- Cambridge, Mass. is the university town. We're right around, you know, for the U.S. at least. We're right down the street from MIT. We have tons of DNA from MIT. Our founders met at MIT. Uh, and then Harvard is around the corner. And then you name it, Tufts, Boston University, Northeastern. It, the list goes on and on and on. So it's a very, I feel like they're, they're sister cities uh, sharing the same name. And and you, you mentioned there that, you know, we, we slightly skirted around the fact that there's enormous, we talked a bit about the transition, but we didn't talk too much about you know adapting our mindsets and, and having to adapt your mindsets for all that all that uh, that sort of change and um, you referred to kind of grit there you know people need to have that kind of grit because there is a lot of change I'm just interested for yourself you know you've you know how have you personally elevated your mindset and your thinking and leadership during this journey uh, because the I, I think the role that you're doing now is probably very different to the role that you started I think the the single biggest thing, and it may be that you have a podcast coming up on this, maybe the the next one that you're doing, but um, feedback. Yeah. You know, I came into the company 
somebody who is chronically not necessarily great at getting feedback. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I was young and brash. Um, not that I'm old and wise and stayed <laughs> particularly <laughs> now, but I was younger and brasher then. No, I've, I've, I've changed a lot, you know, and I, I think your personality does change over the course of these things. Also becoming a parent. I mean, boy, that really puts things into perspective and is, is really humbling. So there's an element of kind of maturity and humility that happens along the way that's, that's really necessary. Um, but you know, for me, the principal, uh, pillar of that change was around feedback and going from being someone who's a little tough to give feedback to, to, to somebody who gets a lot of feedback every day. And the keys to that for me, the first key was sitting down one day and realizing I really did want to be the best in the world at, at what I did. And I, I was unlikely to get there, but I wanted to head in that direction and do what it, do what it took that kind of opened the door a little bit. And I remember when I said that to the, to my boss at the time, we were at lunch and I said, you know, I really want to be the best in the world at this. And he started giving me a lot more feedback. You know, he, he said, I know you want to be the best. And so I'm going to tell you this stuff. Um, it, the flywheel there is if you're actually open to the feedback, if you have a reason in your soul to be looking for the feedback, it will both appear everywhere and furthermore, multiply as you give the signal to people giving you feedback that you, that you actually want it. And that goes for teams, too. I mean, when we do our employee engagement um, surveys, it's an extremely critical part that we follow up afterwards, uh, which we do with a detailed write-up and all of our thoughts on what we're hearing. And then we do Ask Me Anything sessions, sort of town hall type chats where we take questions and th that's absolutely critical that we say we hear the feedback, even if the answer is that's a great question. It's a hard question. We don't know the answer yet. Um, we're glad you're thinking about it. We're thinking about it, too. People really want to hear that. And when the next survey goes out, they're more likely to to give that feedback. And that happens on an individual basis, too, when people notice that they they tiptoe into things. Right. And and uh, whether it's your boss or a peer or somebody on your team or somebody in another department, they sort of tiptoe into something. You know, I, I, I find myself now saying as when I see the tiptoes coming, I say, you know, look, I'm, I'm ready to hear this. I'm ready to hear this. And you can speak plainly, you know, and, and I'm going to I promise I'll listen. Then people kind of go, oh, OK. <laughs> and, you know, they start talking to you more the way that they are talking to their spouse over a glass of wine while they cook at night, complaining about work, right? I mean, you, you want those conversations. You don't want them happening there. That, that's what makes people uh, not want to come into work on Monday morning. And so, you know, that, that's been key. The, the last thing I'll say about it is I definitely get feedback from, you know, my boss and uh, the founders and so forth. I get a lot more feedback and, you know, arguably better feedback, if I'm totally honest, from the people who are my peers, who be, simply because they're the ones who are with me, you know, eight, 10 hours a day. Um, they're the ones who are in meetings. They're the ones who are editing Google Docs with me. They're the ones who are, you know, in Slack and um, having their own conversations with people on my team. And so the culture around that has been spectacular. You know, if there is an issue somewhere on the team and someone else finds out about it, I find out and they tell me about it and they're honest about it and caring about it. Um, and then I can get engaged in, in the right way. 
And getting that feedback in real time is just super, super critical. So every time we have an executive presentation, every time we have a talk, um, you know, a, a leadership talk to the broader engineering team, you know, it's all about getting the water cooler feedback and really listening to it. And then the last piece is, you, you know, I, I guess I said one more thing. I guess I, I meant two more things. <laughs> but the, truly, truly the last piece is, um, you know, I hired a coach. Uh, I started out as a public speaking coach. But, you know, in reality, it's public speaking and also sort of leadership in, in general and storytelling. I would say he's my storytelling coach. And every time I give a talk, I get video of it. And we sit down and we do you know, the, the, the NFL football style game tape review where we pause the video and we rewind the video and we do those things. Um, and because he doesn't work at, at the company, I think he's probably a little bit faster to take the gloves off, but I found that really valuable, you know, for, 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 uh, me to deliver a message to the larger team, have the video of it and sit with a coach and have him ask, you know, what, what were you trying to get across? Here's what you were getting across with your body language, with your tone of voice, with, you know, the storytelling that you were doing and course correcting from there has been, um, you know, worth every penny. Fantastic. I, 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 may, I could keep on talking about that because I'm going to talk about being interviewed on giving and receiving feedback because it is it is so important. And I, there was a bit of research, I think, last year with on, amongst 57 American companies. And it was um, the, the, the single biggest factor they identified for um, for success and uh, and business kind of growth was having a, a performance uh, feedback culture, which it sounds like you've got. And you're really endorsing that beautifully. So that's a lovely, lovely um, little introduction for next week. Um, we've only got um, three minutes left till the end of the show. We, we need to finish on time two now. So um, I'm really sorry. We're probably not going to be able to talk about the rock and roll album and developing a tuck product, which I really, really wanted to. So um, I'm, I'm sorry about that. But so what if you've got a sort of final message that you would like to leave, you know, for leaders who are listening to this? Yeah. I mean, for people who are curious about the music, it's, it's easy. You can go to theproviders.com and you can sign up there and we'll tell you the story. We, we do some storytelling there and you can find out everything that we're up to. Uh, the, you know, I, the, the last thing I would say to leaders out there is the most valuable thing you can do to somebody isn't to give them access to your time or, or, or money. It's to be able to take bets on people and put your reputation out there and let people take out loans against, you know, your reputation as a leader is the best way to grow that next generation of leaders. Uh, and growing that generation of leaders is the best thing you can do for your own career. Christopher, amazing conversation. It's been a real, real pleasure and honor to have the opportunity to talk to you and listen to your wisdom and you know, hear about this amazing culture at, at HubSpot and, and, and really start to understand it's, you know, why it's growing so quickly. And I think you know, the culture that you're creating there is clearly having a huge impact. So a huge thank you um, to you, Christopher. All right. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me on. You're very welcome. So go to theproviders.com if you want to find out more about the music and hubspot.com slash jobs if you want a job at uh, a hubspot potentially. And on next week's show, I'll be talking about giving and receiving feedback. I'll be interviewed by John Jennings uh, on that subject. It's an area that a lot of my clients have been asking about of late and have been delivering some programs on 
giving and receiving feedback. It is so important if you want to develop and grow. And as I mentioned there, performance feedback culture uh, is very, very important. Um, it's the one way we develop. Um, and it really is kind of the breakfast of champions. And having that openness that Christopher talked about to receiving it is so, so important, as well as being able to give it uh, um, in a in a kind of artful and uh, and clear and uh, sensible and, and kind way, really. So we'll be back again with you next week. Any questions, comments, send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Um, and always love to hear from you. Uh, and I shall start to get a little bit more active on the um, on the Facebook um, page linked to the Business Elevation Show. So if you want to put any comments on there um, or sign up for it, then do do that. And we'll start to have more of a, a dialogue on there uh, around thoughts on different shows and things like that. So once again, huge thank you to Christopher O'Donnell. And I wish you all well. Thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. 